From New York City, the Comedy Cellar and Rethink Production present Live from America Podcast. We will make America great again. How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? Live from America Podcast. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Just so you understand. We can't be the stupid country anymore. Live from America podcast. I believe we can keep the promise of our founding. The idea that if you're willing to work hard, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you look like or where you love. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Native American or young or old or rich or poor, able, disabled, gay or straight. You can make it here in America if you're willing to try. It's just words, folks. It's just words. This is Live from America Podcast with Noam Dorman and Haddon Gab. Well, good evening and welcome to Live from America Podcast from the Comedy Cellar in New York City. Uh, welcome to the show. We finally have you back you after too. the yeah. Uh, I, I, we were looking for crawling my way to this podcast. Uh, claw my way on. <laughs> Lee, it's Lee Rowland from the Lee East. Rowland. She's my favorite guest, by the way. My favorite guest ever. Thanks. Good. And uh, appreciate that. I'll try and ruin it tonight. Mr. No, you can't ruin it. Jay Stanley, also from the ACLU. Oh, great. Who thought he was innocently getting drinks with me and then I hoodwinked him into a podcast. Next thing I know, I'm on a podcast. What there you, you go. And comedian Dan Adaman. How do, you do, how do you do? Deepo and Steven Calabria, China Priya. And of course, the one yep. and only. Steven, why don't you sit close to the yeah. mic? That's... Just do it. All right. So before we go, I just want to say last week we had a, a Me Too discussion and. Um, Apparently, as the know, only woman in this room, I, my heart is just sinking right now. Well, it, you would you would you would have been great on discussion, but apparently, um, it got a lot of traction on uh, on the web or something. But um, I don't, I'm not even sure. But the point is that then Jenna Friedman, Lou, what's Lou's last name? Perez. Uh, Perez. Lou Perez, who is a he's like a libertarian guy. What's his what's yeah. his what's his shtick? Yeah. His, yeah. So he, we were talking about being guys, and he said very in a very heartfelt way. I thought he says, you know, there was a time in my life when I was drinking a lot, when I would black out and I would wake up and I wouldn't remember what I did or how I behaved, and I was and I was worried about that, which I thought was an honest, you know, human admission of a guy who was hoping that he never did anything inappropriate with women when he was drunk, whatever it was. And apparently Jenna went and tweeted it after the show, like to kind of ridicule him for that, that moment when your guy on the podcast with you, you know, thinks he might've raped somebody or something like that. And I just want to say, I don't know if Jenna's ever going to hear, but I'll tell her if I see her, that I thought that was very inappropriate of her to do that. And that's all I want to say. Like, like that's exactly kind of a problem. The guy was being honest. He was ridic. He didn't, he might have even done something wrong. He would, but you know what? What, he's, do you, yeah. what do you want to accomplish for everybody just to lie and shut up and do hostage videos, which is what most people do? And then I won't say who, but then our guests, even that week after the show, when they got off the mic, confided to us how they feel. Even among their audiences, they can't really say what they really think with the nuances of the things that they really think, for fear that they'll be rejected by their readers or their followers, whatever it is. So this, this is good to leave. It's, it's a whole country of people who uh, feel that they can't really say what they really think. 
Lee? Oh, okay. On a public podcast, you're saying that's the inner sanctum of an expectation of privacy? I think I'm a little No, confused. not privacy. Just saying pe- people, people like, okay, the Me Too thing. I can't tell you how many times at the comedian table, someone will come over and I'll be like, what do you think about the Louis, some, some of those famous people, what yeah. do you think about the Louis C.K. thing? They'd be like, what do you think about the Louis C.K. Right, thing? Right, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to say. <laughs> they're they're deathly afraid. That's why I congratulated on our previous podcast, I congratulated Alec Baldwin. For, and I happen to believe that Woody Allen... I've always felt that Woody Allen did do it. I read the court papers. I followed it. I thought he was guilty. But Alec Baldwin had the fucking balls to say, we don't know that he did it. One one kid says he did. One kid says he didn't. Essentially, this is just all jumping, taking sides now because it's trendy to do so. Yeah. And it's not fair to him. Yeah. And, and he took tremendous risk with his, with his career to do that. And I admired him for doing that. That's what I'm saying. He's actually saying what he thinks. I feel you. I think the problem is, so I, you know, I'm a First Amendment and a free speech advocate, and they're different things, right? I mean, the right. first, we're not talking about government pressure. Nobody's been fired. Nobody's been, you know, excommunicated from the country. We're talking about private pressure, right? And and that's the kind of complicated dark side of the First Amendment. If we, if we control this conversation we have from interference with the government, part of what the First Amendment contemplates is that sometimes other humans are going to give you a shit ton of flack for your beliefs and ideals. And sometimes that Overton window, right, which is the description for what's socially acceptable, shifts. So all of a sudden it's not okay to say, yeah, I love me some Woody Allen films, right? And that is how social progress happens is via a system of public shaming. And so, yes, of course, there are downsides to people feeling like I can no longer express this because it's no longer socially acceptable. But that is also the sting of what people are trying to create with progress. Right now, you may disagree that you don't want women to feel equal in the workplace, but I know you and I suspect that's not what you want. And I don't know how we get there without having a conversation that's sometimes going to make dudes uncomfortable by realizing, oh, shit, I myself have fucked up and been complicit in this. That's actually a good thing. We want that harm. As long as that shame and that silencing and that pressure is not coming from government, that conversation about how we change norms, about how we, we attach blame and shame, that is how we track social progress. Those, those are the points in our public conversation where we say, this shit is different now. And it's not okay to shrug your shoulders and say, hey, I blacked out on Tuesday, but I don't remember it, so it was fine. Right? He, I think he didn't there say are, it was fine. I understand but, that. But we, I think women and feminists and women's rights advocates in the workplace want that conversation to be associated with shame. We are trying to change the social repercussions for being a sexist asshole in the workplace. And that is going to come with some discomfort because all change comes with discomfort. So I can't, yeah, I, I, I understand that like it sucks that. to feel chilled, but if it's not coming from the government and it's a result of the consensus of the society that like, yeah, stuff's different today than it was yesterday. That is part of the cost of doing business in a but, free but society. We, but we still want people to to give their real opinions. Sure. You know, we don't want people to say one thing uh, publicly and then another thing privately. Ideally, everybody would give their honest opinions. Well, we've never lived in that ideal world, but I'm with you, Dan. I'd love to get there. Well, it's also well I enough. say we let's hold hands and go there together. Oh, <laughs> we can skip through a field of flowers. No, I, first of all, we, we talked about this once before. I, I don't. Obviously, the the Constitution is what it is, and the Constitution um, concerns what the government does. But the Constitution, of course, never contemplated the that modern technology was actually a more significant uh, 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 check on on free speech than the government ever would be. Doxing, and, uh, public shaming, absolutely. Yeah. So, as I'm not saying that it is a constitutional issue, but I'm saying right. by analogy for people who are outraged by 
government censorship, this ought to, is a certain way, just as horrible, if not more horrible, and ought to, to uh, alarm them in the same way, where people are being, where everything, they can lose, they can lose more than, than the courts would ever take from them. Yeah. Simply, and with no standards for saying things or for, for doing things or being accused of things with no civil liberties. I mean, civil liberties are there. Civil liberties are not an end in themselves. Civil liberties are the way we would like to be able to live. We, we, we do kind of, I know now that we're not religious anymore. We don't believe they were endowed by our creator, but somehow philosophically, we believe you do have these rights, the human rights sure. and, and the internet is taking them away. You, you can lose your money, your house. You can, you can, you can be convicted of a crime with no evidence. You, I mean, it's, it's, it's very troubling. Yeah, and it may or may not be true, right? You could have a pizza shop that all of a sudden finds itself at the middle of a sex ring, right? A child sex slave ring. And that may or may not be true, right? We, even though it's gotten enough viral attention that everybody believes Comet Pizza is a front for, but, you know. But now, what's the solution without abridging free speech even further? In other yeah, words, exactly. if, they, if, they, if the American public wrongly... Uh, perhaps feels a certain way. What, what do you What are you supposed to do? Well, the, the one solution is by by uh, people uh, tuning into the problem. Like racism is not illegal, but there's a big stigma about racism now. And we God there, forbid. What I'm saying that there can be stigma. <laughs> like people, we should as a society maybe learn that we don't want to live this way. Learn not to ruin people. Like it's interesting. Finally, there's a little backlash. I don't want to talk about me too again, but on this Aziz thing yeah. that people are like, wait a second, you know, maybe this has gone too far. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But the answer somewhere starts from just being everybody accepting that there's a problem. Well, I think, you know, there were a couple of good think pieces in response to the Aziz on sorry thing with, with largely women responding to claims that had gone too far who said, you know, what is going too far look like? Is it just the fact that someone can make a false accusation or a truthful accusation that makes too much of something? And I think, you know, people have always been able to do that. Right. And how we've regulated that is if you go way over the line, there's defamation and libel law, which you're familiar with. And I really respect people who don't necessarily go that route. Um, like I, I know, for example, when the comedy you know, seller table yeah. was raised as part of the structural me too problem. Instead of suing someone for libel that you thought spoke untruthfully, right about your table, you invited him on and you had that conversation yeah. in an ideal world. That's not only, you know, the first amendment ideal, that's the free speech ideal, right? Absolutely. That's the normative ideal. So I, I praise you for that. And I think you have those great instincts, but I also think there's no way for us to legislate or fix the opposite problem. When well, you're past right? to a certain extent it a little bit with this right to be forgotten. Like that's a little right. bit of it. Right. And we can't have that here. It violates the First Amendment. We're not going to have it. Yeah, I would support it. What's, what's the right to be forgotten? That, that, Adam, you would probably be familiar, more familiar with it. Sure. It, it, it's a bit of a misleading term. It's technically the right to be delisted by Google if we're being technical. But basically the European court um, has has had a series of decisions originating out of Spain originally that resulted in an enforceable right to have misinformation about you or misinformation is sorry. I take that back information, information. about you taken off of search engines. And, and the case actually started with a Spanish lawyer, which as a lawyer, this, I admit this blows my mind and why I think the right to be forgotten is so misbegotten. He's a Spanish lawyer who at some point had a tax lien on his property. And as a lawyer, and maybe this is a bootstrap mentality, but I feel like a client of mine has a right to know, am I a grown ass adult who can file forms or am I a tax delinquent who can't even keep my own property off of a lien when I'm an attorney, right? I actually think that my clients have a right to know that. But this Spanish attorney said, hey, you know, this was years ago. 
I paid my tax lien or whatever. I want this off the internet. I want people not to be able to Google me and say, this Spanish lawyer had a tax lien. So was it was a tax cheat at some point, right? And he won. It went all the way up to the European court. And they said, Google, he has an enforceable right against Google to get that taken off his search engine results. And, and you know what? Whatever your sympathy that you might have for that story, and I have zero, um, the, the resulting period of time that that's been about what two years jay since i think wait mm, three or four maybe yeah. longer we we know that a lot of the requests to google to be delisted have come from criminals have come from corporations trying to hide their past misdeeds like hey at some point the fact that i committed massive fraud no longer is relevant to the public and i just fundamentally disagree with that we we are living in a world where the internet has a memory that creates a record of your past. And we do have to grapple with that. That's really messed up, right? Because the First Amendment was drafted in this analog time where you weren't living with a permanent recording of everything you've ever done. But I don't personally think that means we shift the laws. I don't think that means we tell the New York Times you can't report on a 10-year-old story. I don't think that means that people don't have a right to Google things that happened in the 1990s. Instead, I think we have to shift our norms to be a little more forgiving, of the fact that we are whole people and we have all fucked up royally at some point in our lives. We have all been less than our best selves. And I think that's the norm that slowly has to shift, which is as we have these social conversations, as we force people, if we try to force people, we may not agree, but as we try and bring people to a new norm, you know, there has to be, I think, some idea of an amnesty, right, to bring people along and to enable them to have that conversation. There, there's us. no, I think there, tough li- to do. there literally is no answer to this. But of course, what happens is that then then people become victims of the fads. So, for instance, like if you're if you're a Southern Republican and you were sleeping with a 15 year old, you know, they may they may make your life miserable. If you're Jimmy Page and you're sleeping with a 15 year old, you're just a cool rock star. And, but the con—I mean, it's, it's just no, there's no consistency to it whatsoever. When a government was handing out punishments, at least you could hope there was some. Nobody was above the law, right? Now people are above the law, and 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 who is above the law is very trendy and very faddish, and and it's very. It's a it's a bitter way to live. I'm okay, sorry. but what at heart you're saying is your celebrity is now dependent on people liking you, and you know, crime celebrity, river, no? your 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 profile. Who knows? It's, but who it, is it happening to? Is it really happening to people? Do you really believe that rampant? False yeah, it happened. It happened to two famous comedians that I know. Okay, famous both of comedians. Both were treated unfairly. Emphasis on the famous and the comedian. These are people who live yeah. their lives in public. They're who not. Say, but I'm saying they're not below or above the law. You know? No, they, of course not. But I'm saying as far, we're not talking about the government. It could happen to as me. As you acknowledge. My celebrity could happen to me. You're a public figure hosting a podcast right now, man. The yes. best podcast well, ever well, life. I'm American. And by, and by putting yourself <laughs> in the limelight, I think it's anybody. ridiculous to then say, oh my God, people are judging me. Of course they're judging you. It's what you're asking them to do by getting up in public and saying, pay attention let, let, to let me. Let me it could happen to Anybody can go online and complain about any pizzeria. Yeah, and yeah. it's always been like that. that. Remember, there were child sex. No, it wasn't always like that. Furies in the it 90s wasn't on Long always Island. Like you that. know this. If, if you, of course it was. 15 years ago, if you, wanted, if you wanted to ruin somebody, there was no easy way in the internet. Yeah. If you could if you, you, to if go you, uphill both no, ways. No, no. If you could manage to get it picked up by the New York Post one day, it was there one day. And then it was gone, never to be seen again. And it was it was a great big speed bump. To the process of ruining people. But other norms are changing too. Wiener's going to run again, viral. right? We ruin people and then five years later they go to sex rehab and they come back. But is it that is it that easy to make a rumor stick? Thank if I just randomly wanted to bring down a pizzeria and went online and said, this pizzeria 
has rats in it. Yes. Okay. Is it that easy uh, for one individual to bring down that pizzeria, even going online? I don't think it's that. I don't think rumors just automatically stick. Rumors some stick. Do, some don't. It's r- weird. Rumors stick when there's enough behind them, I think. I, 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 yeah. I Let me ask you two questions. Yeah, and quickly. And also, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to say all of this is premised on the idea that there is rampant false accusation, which I just want to factually say is not borne out by experience not false it's it's accusations which are taken as serious or not serious depending on the whims and the inconsistent judgments of society based on you know how cool you are or the values and moral judgments of an evolving society so that would be fine if they treat everybody the same way go ahead let let, let me ask you two questions uh one is isn't it google and facebook and all this is private owned so you have no problem with somebody controlling that I have a huge problem with it. I mean, this is something that Jay and I work on all the time. I mean, we are Talk to the close we are in First Amendment 2.0 land, right? The primary mode of communication that people use. I mean, think about a teenager today, right? They have no visceral concept of censorship. When they mm-hmm. want to speak, they're thinking, which of these seven platforms do I have more followers, right? Is this an Instagram post? Is this a Facebook post? Whatever, right? So I worry about it as a free speech advocate. I worry about the values that this generation is picking up because they don't have a sense of censorship, but they do have a very visceral sense of bullying. Right. But I think what they don't recognize is that their speech and their ability to reach people exists purely by dint of a private company's largesse. And I think that's something that a lot of younger people don't think about, that there are these hidden algorithms or these hidden rules that determine what your speech looks like once it goes out into that digital platform. And and that's messed up. And we all need to have a, a really strong and internal sense that like our ability to speak in the digital age relies on private companies. Yeah, deciding but, but, but that's my point with the Spanish speech. lawyer. Yeah. Who gives the right to somebody to say we're going to take it off or not, you know, if it's a private owned company. Right. Well, in the EU, they basically have complicated legal rules that say if you're doing business in that country, you're subject to their rules. And so Google and Facebook, because they do a certain amount of business in the country, are subject to that country's laws. Right. So, for example, Facebook couldn't start putting a bunch of pictures of child porn on them. Right. Or else U.S. attorney generals would go after them because they're subject to our laws, too. And it's the same in Europe because they're a multinational company. So if I if I started a company like Google and I have the right to put... I I mean, actually, like, say, Yelp and stuff like that, and he's a business owner, he knows, uh, you can put reviews, and you can buy reviews. Of course, yeah. You know? So, so money is involved in this. So what, 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 why is it okay that a private-owned company can pretty much say your history? Uh, well, I work for a privately-owned company called the ACLU, right? So uh, we often think of privately owned companies as having values and ethos, right? The NAACP is a privately owned company. They just happen to be a nonprofit company. So uh, we recognize that companies often are made up of individuals with fully fledged, you know, constitutional rights and First Amendment rights. And that's a good thing. The ACLU supported Citizens United. Yeah, we sure did. We still do. Yeah. Um, so I think like there are values just because you're a corporation, I, I'm not saying like corporations are people, don't get me wrong, but just because you're a corporation, it doesn't mean all of a sudden that we have no interest in making sure the government doesn't run roughshod over your rights. Because sometimes a corporation is a group of people with a set of values, right? And, and technically under the First Amendment, a, a company like Facebook or Google, the default is that they have First Amendment rights as a company to define who they are, right? Chick-fil-A can be a conservative company. Target can be more gay friendly. And, and that's an ethos that they communicate to their company, to their clients. Mm-hmm. So I think generally that's a good thing. Um, and I, I don't think you'd want to live in a world where the government gets to tell private companies, this is the only kind of speech you carry. Right. Let me ask you a question about free speech, because I feel have felt that the ACLU is buckling. It's not the ACLU of my childhood. Do you think or what under what scenario would it matter to you 
what the views were that wanted to be protected, meaning like, uh, does it matter that somebody's alt right to you in any way when you judge how you would protect or not protect or defend their, their case? Uh, that's kind of a loaded question because yeah. I, I think, you know, my instinct is to say no as a free speech attorney. And I think by and large, the answer is no for how I would evaluate a case. But, but I want to be more honest and say yes, but it's not the yes in the way you're thinking which is that we're a nonprofit and we have way, way, way more inquiries and requests for our legal help than we can dole out, right? There's a limited number of ACLU attorneys, including at the state, most particularly at the state level. So I can, I've been an affiliate attorney at the ACLU of Nevada. I've been at national. And I can tell you the truth is every time a request comes in for our pro bono legal help, that means for free, right? It's a zero sum set of time. Right. There are only so many lawyers. They can do so many cases. So every time we get a request, we're always weighing a lot of questions. Right. We might get two inquiries from sex offenders who say I've gotten an unconstitutional parole condition that says I can't use the Internet at all. And let's say two of those people. Right. We get two of those requests. And one of them had sex with a three year old. And one of them was 19 when he had sex with a 17 year old girlfriend and ended up on the sex offender registry. Which of those two clients are we going to take? The 19 you bet your ass we're going to take the 19 year old because because he makes a better advocacy vehicle and increases the likelihood we're going to succeed in court. So every time we take a Whoa, case, we just, think. Can I, can I interrupt yeah, you? Sure. I because I because I, I actually that was counterintuitive to me. Right. I thought the reason would be take the 19 year old because that case will have more of an impact on the world. That's a more important case. It's a bigger injustice. Sure, that too, no. But, but. Having more success in court, I don't, I, that, of that, course, that surprised we're, me. we're a legal organization, right? We are a strategic advocacy and legal organization. Yeah, but you when could we, have less success in, success in court because those are the cases where the judges are the most, uh, defi- the, the most abusing of civil liberties. Well, sure, but then what's so, the end game? We, we're, of course, no, but we you follow my point. Cable. Like if, if, the, if the judge really doesn't have any respect for civil liberties, so then you take the ones the cases that are most likely to win, right, you're, the taking the, you're taking the optics are less offensive. Then you're taking the cases that you you should be taking the cases that are important, not the even even you got to teach the judge that he's wrong. I'm saying on, take on, it all the way up the ladder, all not take the case metrics, you're likely to win. Generally equal cases, yeah. right? I'm just being honest okay. to you that you, in you understand every, my point. Yes, of no, course. But okay. I'm just saying in every, in a, we take hard cases, right? Yeah. There's a reason that unlike firm lawyers. ACLU attorneys aren't paid like by their number of wins, right? We don't get bonuses based on if we won three of our five cases because we want ACLU attorneys to be pushing the envelope to take the hardest cases, to take the counterintuitive cases that in a democracy to change the world. You want to change things for the better. Yes. Yes. But part of that is not just working in the courts. It's being an advocacy vehicle, right? And if I am just telling you the truth, we are at a moment in time where the biggest free speech, free speech fights by and large center around hateful people, right? Because there are more kind of professional provocateurs who get silenced that are racists. And so the reality is- Or accused of being racist. No, they're racist, Noam. Some are, some are. No, most mostly they are. I'm really comfortable with that. Like name one provocative college speaker you don't think is a racist. Um, Ann Colte. I, I, I would say that I, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, I, would have a, I would have a hard time making the case that Charles Murray is a racist. You, you may think he is- but um, he's either a racist or a moron because nobody in his field agrees with him. So he either fabricated well, a theory. Lee, I, I got to tell you, that's not true. I, I don't I don't have an expertise, but I spent a lot of time reading about Charles Murray in the last couple of months, listening to his podcasts. And uh, we had another guy who said, what was his name? Uh, um, David Reese came on and said almost the same thing. And it caused me to go back and read about him. 
And that's not the case. The, okay, the man but is, I'm going to listen to the weight of developmental sociologists who generally think the man doesn't have a lot to offer I, to the mainstream With all due respect, I don't think that you've actually spent a lot of time reading about this guy. I actually went to Middlebury and have done a lot of reading about okay, him. But the, before I shot my mouth off, I wanted to make sure I was the, in the mainstream the, by saying he's not a respected academic. He is not a respected academic. There, there are, he gets invited because he's a racist, not because he's smart. No, that's just true. The American Enterprise Institute has an entire fund right. to prop this guy up to speak at, at colleges. It's not because he's the smartest thing since sliced bread. It's because he's the bold speaker who will tell you that black people are dumber than white people. Well, he doesn't say that. If you listen to his, if you listen to him, you would, you would know that he doesn't say that. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't, not my position to defend Charles Murray. I'm saying that, <laughs> that, that anybody who, who comes to a conclusion that is somehow uh, unpleasant even in good faith, is called a racist. Now, a racist is a is a uh, a character assassination, meaning essentially that he doesn't really believe what he's saying, or he doesn't feel that the science backs him up. This is a pretext because he hates, and um, I don't believe that Charles, whatever Charles Murray believes, is a pretext because he hates. I think that there's data. And if his data is wrong, then that's how you smoke him out. But well, on that, I agree with you. I mean, I obviously would prefer if people stood up and said, here's why you're wrong, rather than trying to silence the man, because that feeds into the power of that. But to his credit, he's ready to debate and take on anybody who wants to take him on on his data. And it's the and it's and ironically, and this is why I object to what you're saying. It's the other side that doesn't want to debate. It's the other side that wants to shut him down. And then they'll wrap themselves in the fact that he's a racist. He's like, listen, I'm not a racist. I'll come up and I'll defend everything that I've said. And if I'm wrong, just show me where I'm wrong. I'm saying two plus two is four. You think it's not? Show me. Okay. No, you're a racist. Fair enough. That's not. Um, and for, and for, we, for an ACLU we, person to say that, it troubles me. If we rewound 10 yeah. years, yeah. it would all be moral majoritarians and Republicans trying to shut down LGBT clubs. Yeah, they're wrong too. Or if you look today, it is centrist Dems and right-wingers trying to shut down Palestinian rights groups because they engage in boycott. You can dress it up any way you want. I'm against all of it. The other side thing. But you shouldn't engage in it. Is an attempt to paint people who didn't. No, I just think Charles Murray is wrong and I'm allowed to have that belief. I therefore think it's really dumb. You were just saying it was a matter of fact, essentially. No, he's a racist. I'm saying you don't, you don't. The other thing is, is like, you know, when she says that Charles Murray does not have respect to the profession, I mean, do I dive into Charles Murray's data? Do you dive into his data? I've tried. To no, we don't it. dive into his data because we're not. That's not our profession. We don't know how to dive into data. But <clears throat> the people who are in his profession who do dive into his data all reject him. No, that's not true. I, I'm telling you that is not true. If you go and look at that, that is that's not, why he's I, like I, I think cast uh, his profession. Well, do they reject his data, or they say his data is correct, but with an asterisk? There's an explanation for it. In other words, the data is correct, but it's environmental, not genetic. I don't think anybody's actually questioning the data. I think the notion that that the IQ scores differ across uh, ethnic groups is quite established and and, and almost irrefutable. But the only uh, only, uh, point of debate is why. Look, let me give you you a broad why I have trouble with it. Yeah, and that's what I'm I'm not questioning his data. I'm saying his conclusions, right? Most people say, yeah, that's because IQ tests were designed by white people who benefited from a school system that was designed for a certain You don't no, you don't know. You, you you could be totally right. I, you know, this is so troubling to me because this is how people get themselves in trouble. Meaning that don't be I'm, ridiculous. No, we don't disagree. No, we both agree he should have no, come no, and he should have been this, debated. This is how I'm going to get myself in trouble. Meaning that to say that you that you what you're saying is not um, 
is, is not called for by the facts, people will interpret that as me taking the other side. And I'm not taking the other side. I'm saying that and I've read a lot about this stuff. God could have made, listen, one of the things I heard Charles Murray say, and it stuck with me, he talked about, he said the West, Af- said the West African runners, you know, all the, the, the uh, marathon winners are over from West Africa. And East African runners don't win the marathons. And it, what they actually did is they took uh, West African people who were not trained in the marathon and they raised them in East Africa and then they started winning the right. marathon. So meaning that, so this was like a good argument that there's something, now this is within one race. Talking about gene pools. Now, and then if you, and if you zoom out of all of it and all of it, all of it, you just come down to the question, is intelligence, which obviously is a physical phenomenon, just has to be different than every other physical phenomenon we have. Meaning that if you could wear your intelligence on your face, wouldn't it be whatever it is that's in your brain that makes you smart. If you could see it on your face, you'd be able to see it. And then wouldn't it distribute along gene pools? Meaning if like, if I always mated with people who also look like that, our kids would probably more likely have it. And if those didn't, they would less likely have it. And that could distribute across West Africa, East Africa, Ashkenazi, because neighborhoods, races, anything. But the notion that, that um, intelligence is the one thing which is just magically and egalitarian, sprinkled perfectly equal through every population, no matter what, I think is, is uh, probably uh, needs to be proven. And I think that that is basically Charles Murray's argument. And to say that he's ridiculous when this common sense is like, listen, we don't know really how the world spins out. But if you told me that some white people were smarter than some other white people, I wouldn't be offended by that. If you told me that, if you told me that Asians yeah, are better than, said, you're not offended by Charles Murray's conclusions. No, my point is this, but I'm if just surprised that, that, color, that you, that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to call him things like he I, should be no, able to say whatever he wants. As, That's all I'm saying. Of course he should, should be, he'd be invited on behalf Absolutely. of the political science department and sponsored by Middlebury college to be elevated on a platform with other scholars who are there for their work Absolutely. rather than the fact they're racist. The answer is no. And if you are a black kid on that campus, you have every right to say, Oh, how convenient that it's always a free speech defense when they manage to find the one lone racist, right? Who has a racist theory. He's wants, and by the way, he's, that he doesn't matter to, if he's a bigot. He wants to come and say he's not racist. a racist. Why should a college give him a platform to do that? For the same reason you when think I went to colleges are there to cleanse people of their when, sins when, when people when think I that went to college. Right? That's a ludicrous idea. No, I went to college you in the be same there because you have intellectual weight. to. When add. I went to college in the same year, I saw Noam Chomsky speak and Mayor Kahani speak. And you should have. That's and, great. And that was a provocative and informing college experience. That experience is no longer available to kids going to college today. I would like to have been able to see Charles Murray and having somebody there debate him and somebody take him down. It'd be nothing healthier. If he's the racist that you say he is, and he may very well be, there'd be nothing healthier way, not than having him, him ex- be nothing or be whatever. Know, those are different it, names. Let's, let's call him. If racist is exactly what Dan he's was in, talking if about. If he's an incompetent. What was I talking hold about? Hold on, hold on. the product of a structural system. Hold on, let me finish. Lee, designed by white let, people. Lee, That's if racism. He's, if he's an incompetent. Nobody has to be a bigot there. If he is the incompetent scientist that you say he is. Well, I, not that I say. That there, people in the political science There'd be world nothing better than to see him taken down by his peers. Because when somebody like you says it, it's meaningless. He needs to go up there and not 
be able to defend himself. So should you guys host the worst comic in the world just to prove to your audience that he sucks? No. Is that how you I run your business? That, I don't see that analogy. But that's no. how you think Middlebury College should if, do. If the audience wants to they see him. They should invite shitty mm-hmm. scholars because their ideas are crappy no. just to debunk well, them. Well, I'm not that's saying they should. I'm saying that, that, if, that if there's a student group that wants to. Yeah. They but should. the school shouldn't have sponsored it. And the reason what that student it? group, that's that's the problem. that we're That's our disconnect. Of course, I believe that the American Enterprise Institute Club of Middlebury should have been able to invite him. Yeah. Of course, I believe that when he came to school, people should have had the chutzpah to debate him rather than, right, rather than try and shut him down. But number one, it was sponsored by the political science department and given an imprimatur of seriousness that I do not think his scholarship merits. You don't, but they do. No. And, and, and it, and it, it kind of a mistake. Well, you think it's a mistake, but these, you know, you, it's so funny because on the one hand you say this peers and you signed to say that he's nothing, but here, this other group of professors, yeah, I they had, know something. I took classes with those people. All right. I know them personally. Lisa, you're they not made a dictator. A that's your opinion. Yeah, that's this right. This is astounding for a civil for for, for a, This is your opinion. Wait, are civil libertarians not allowed to have opinions? Yes, though? but I'm saying that they're they're all, they're professionals. They disagree with you, but you're saying nope. Doesn't matter. My opinion is right. They're wrong. They shouldn't be allowed to invite him. No, no, that's at nuts. All. Of course, they should be allowed to invite him. I think the political science department made a mistake by giving that the official imprimatur of the school. Okay. I think that was just an error. Okay. And I think they did it to empower the students in their student club, and I think that motivation was good. But they're using the way to the school let's, to say let's, this. Let's, is the let's kind take of it away from Charles Murray. I feel the same way, and, and he knows. I feel the same because because this is kind of make my point better. I feel the same way about Holocaust deniers. I do not want to see them shut up. I want to see them invited to wherever they want to speak. I don't regard it as an endorsement to have them speak. I want to see them debated. I am. Okay. I, I so I will, I will. I will analogize Charles Murray to a Holocaust denier. I'm saying Fair I enough. do not think it does not help the cause of the Holocaust to have these people having to speak in private, in, uh, in underground, in the dark web, wherever the fuck they're able to speak, mm-hmm. I think it's better to have them out in public and let them be exposed that they can't answer the question. And you know what? And if they have a, like, Serious and, uh, wait, question. Wait, I'm almost finished. Pat Buchanan got a lot of flack because he was defending that guy, um, Demanyuk, the, 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 he claimed that he wasn't the war criminal that he was. And everybody's calling me an anti-Semite all that time. I remember, if you're old enough to remember that. And he got, I mean, he got a lot of flight. Turns out he turned out to be right. Sometimes yeah. the anti-Semite actually turned out to be right. Of course, and they tried to shut him down. People are sometimes right. And yeah. that's why I don't want people to shut them down. But there is a difference between that and give the school giving that personal platform. Well, I think it's the same thing. So No, it's not at all. So you're talking about Holocaust denial, yeah. right? Let's say that the yeah. political science department sponsors 10 speakers a year. Yeah. Do you believe that one of them needs to be a Holocaust denier? That is a ludicrous position to take. Well, ludicrous. needs to be. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Correct. It's- and that's my point, Noam. That school is a place where you should actually go to learn shit that matters. You don't need to spend 10% of your curriculum being reminded that the Holocaust happened because that's a fact. And some ideas are not worthy of debate at the university setting. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You no, can it, do it. No one should silence them. Invite who you want. Is it curricularly uh, uh, a positive I, uh, thing you know what? to have every asshole Actually, off the I, I really don't agree with you. Them? I think that as if, I, if I had 10. That's not the First Amendment. That's just anarchy. That's a failure to say anything matters. You're equating civil libertarianism with a lack of perspective or judgment. And I fundamentally disagree. I think I would learn more in a good debate with a Holocaust, watching a good debate over the Holocaust denier, than I would learn having someone come and speak something which is anodyne, which you all already know we agree with. And we're just kind of reaffirming something that's non-controversial. I, I mean, like, I know I believe the Holocaust happened, but if you have, you had to push me, how do I know the Holocaust happened? How do I know it's 6 million? There we how go. do I, how do I know that? How do, how do I know that the... 
This is a great yeah. episode. You guys got it no, from defending I, I, trolls. Yeah, from trolls. Saying, like, if you, it doesn't really push me on it. I, I wouldn't. There, there, there's some specific, like the things that they, because they don't say no Jews were killed. They say it's an exaggeration. It couldn't have possibly happened this way. It's kind of, it's kind of like 9-11 truthers is another mm-hmm. way. I don't believe any of that stuff. Oh, and but I they, don't think they then, should be invited by the political but, science No, department. but I'm saying, but they put out all this stuff about how it couldn't have come down this way and, and thermodynamics and blah, blah, blah. And I would think, yeah, yeah, let, let's invite them to the fucking university and let's I have agree. the physics department but, there, you know, you could, question them. And, and, sh- and let's say, let's see if they can hold up. You could go to college. Yeah. Under your theory. I mean, there is a difference between allowing people to speak and not like censoring them Which and we all affirmatively agree promoting their ideas. You go to college, you could spend your entire four years like debating and being debunked all kinds of wacko theories by people who think the earth is flat and the moon landing was faked. And like, you could spend your entire four years like debating baloney, stupid theories, whereas you should be spending your four years learning stuff that's actually true and valuable and being debated by smart people who would disagree with each other. But Charles Murray's things are debated by smart people as, as, as unfortunately even Noam Chomsky wrote, uh, uh, you know, this introduction to this Holocaust deniers book. So this, this, this imprimatur, imprimatur, it does have the imprimatur of smart people on this stuff. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's, it's important. Just because no maybe John's maybe I don't I don't know I don't know enough about flat earthers to, to say if they when, if, you, when it, you add in the fact that like certain like corporate interests are intentionally pumping money to like inflate certain points of view that's like, this the is, thing this, this is, is like a, this like, is a dysfunctional marketplace the marketplace of ideas full of fraud and the AEI who's going to pay Charles Murray to go because they want that point and of global view. warming deniers yeah and that, that, that that's global warming guys are, are, absolutely is, should be, be be speaking at a university oh this my is, god there's a lot because of because Exxon is going to pay 50 grand no, for because, a because like 30 because like 30 40 percent of the country believes it and 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 well, it's, it's cause and effect thing here. I mean, it's important to have it aired out. They, they need to be among people who are like experts listen, who study it. Let's say that if, there's if like we, if a, we became socialists, you'd be like, I'd be fucking afraid if you guys had power because you'd be you'd be kind of like the, the well-meaning com- the well-meaning communists who started suppressing. What we're speech. we're agreeing that we're not oh. going to suppress anything. Dude, no, I'm not going to suppress it. I'm just so sick of the suppressing and, and holding like, up. I haven't gotten a captive audience that wanted to hear my shitty ideas. I'm a martyr of the First Amendment. That's not how any of this works. I have a question. The First Amendment entitles you not to be silenced, not to have a captive audience that agrees no, we're, we're with talking, you. We're beyond the First Amendment here. Yeah. You were talking we're about philosophy. how uh, you didn't think that they should be completely shut down. It just depends on who not. is. Uh, de- just depends not. on who is sponsoring the event, who is sponsoring the debate. Do you think that the uh, predominantly leftist activists who are shutting down these speakers will make that same distinction? No, I don't necessarily. And, and look, I, I speak at college campuses all the time and say, don't silence people. Not because I think it's weak or stupid, although part of me does, largely because it's unstrategic. You feed someone power, right? You turn a Milo into a constitutional what about victim. Ben Shapiro? You turn up Ben Shapiro, Is right? He stupid? Stupid? No, Ben's quite smart. Right. I, I mean, but I disagree they, they with a million, everything he they, says. They had yeah. to spend a million dollars to, to protect him, to let him speak. At the end. Was it Berkeley? Yeah. And, and look, I think that's that, out of you, whack. That's, yeah, but, that's but, nuts. But, but this is what comes of of allowing this mushroom to grow of people thinking this veto they should it needs to stop this it needs to be a we stigma all against agree this with that. we need to no we but you don't in other words of course we people, do no i would tell a university student i say listen i agree with you just don't go it's we it just consider yourself fortunate to live in a country where everybody gets to say what they want it's it is much better than the alternative it is because this is where it leads you 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 embolden people to feel that i i have to you 
smartly wrong, decided Charles Murray is a racist. Well, someone else who thinks they're very smart decided that Ben Shapiro is a racist. And they're making all the same arguments you are to me with the same earnestness. And that's the problem. Right. And that's and, and you but don't know and they admi- don't know. I'm a constitutional lawyer. Let him speak. Yes. So if I was the school administrator, would I invite him? No. You don't, Those are you don't see my point. My, you don't see my point that the same that, that this is very much in the eyes of the beholder. Yeah. And and that is not a good system. What I'm what I'm calling for. It's the only system it, we have is no, human consensus. No, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a system when I was a kid. When I was a kid, the system was basically anybody could speak. It was no, nobody fucking nobody got upset. Oh yeah, and the Black Panthers got up and said every black man should have a gun. And your school administration just r- lay down and said that's perfectly fine. That is a lie. That well, is it's, I don't know. History. I don't know what it's happened just, with the Black Panthers in my school, but I hope. But I hope they would let the Black Panthers they, have spoken. But historically, known they yeah, probably they did didn't. have. Uh, but we're moving away from that, more, not towards that. Well, I remember at, when when I was. I'm just school. saying, don't lionize it. Don't pretend in history everybody was allowed to speak. Well, I said when I was a kid popular. in my That's university, we had racists from both sides. In my opinion, right? well, Farrakhan spoke racist. at my at my school. I remember. Yeah, good, yeah. Louis Farrakhan, yeah. Who who you could uh, a pretty good argument could be made that he's a racist. Yeah, a lot of people say that. You don't say that. I use oh. racism in a different way. You guys use it. So so Charles Murray is a I racist, the but a guy racist. who calls Zionism a, 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 a weed and talks about the Jews, this, and the Jews, like the most hateful language yeah, about Jews. No, that's super anti-Semitic. Racism, I think in America, we should use racism. We should use words with intention. And I do. When I think someone's a bigot, I call them a bigot. So he's an anti-Semite. I think he's an anti-Semite. Okay. Which is, a, which is uh, on the same, mor- same moral plane as a racist. But when I talk about... On the same moral plane no, as a racist. No, racism is a fundamentally different thing. Racism not is the about... the same moral plane? No. The Nazis because, were not on the same moral plane as a, as, a, as a racist? No, they're much worse. Because racism, to me, is about structure and society. Right? The problem with now Charles Murray... you're not Murray, using words with intention. No, that's I am. Not, I'm trying to... Do you, want, do you want me to explain yes, what I yes, mean by please. racism? Yes. Racism means something that perpetuates historical inequality, and specifically means in this country. Means to you or in the dictionary? I think both, actually. If you ask most sociologists what the word racism means to them, it means something structural. Right. So I, I don't think I'm a bigot, but I think in some ways I have benefited from a racist system. I I don't know Charles Murray personally. I have no idea what the man has in his heart. What I do think is that his findings in saying, well, IQ shows X. He's saying saying, should Farrakhan get exactly the same treatment as Charles Murray from Lee Rowland. And I'm saying, you just asked me, I called Charles Murray a racist. Would you treat Farrakhan the same? That was a term of art. You would not let, you you would not, you would not. Because I don't know if he's a bigot, Noam. What I do know is his ideas, Murray, what I do know. I'm asking you, would you treat Louis Farrakhan exactly the same way as you would have Charles Murray treated. The same way? Sure. That's an arbitrary question. It means nothing. I'm just explaining to you you're, what I mean. Ducking. The difference between racist and bigotry. You're ducking. I think. No, I'm not ducking in the slightest. You, if you, you, let me you were impassioned about that Charles Murray should not speak. They shouldn't invite him. Blah, blah, blah. No. I said the student should have invited him if they wanted to. I said the school should not have given him their imprimatur. Would the school, should the school never give the imprimatur to, to Louis Farrakhan? Probably not, because I think should he's Should Howard an University not give the imprimatur to no, Louis Farrakhan? No, because he's an anti-Semite, right. and I think they should care about their Jewish students, too. Okay. But I think the Jewish, Jewish student group and Howard? the black student groups at Howard <laughs> have every right to invite him. And I, I yeah, would say no, to you that right. considering he can draw a million people to Washington, it's absurd to think that somebody shouldn't let the guys speak. That's not the answer. The answer, if I was... You keep playing a shell game. Everyone in this room believes they should let him speak. No, Everyone I think they, agrees. I don't think the, I think the imprimatur, the imprimatur is a trumped up issue. The point is that if there's interest. So you think the school's job is just to invite anyone who's controversial or anyone who has an idea that gets attention? That's a shitty school that nobody would attend, Noam. 
I think I think that's, that's a tabloid, I, I not a like, university. I think dealing dude. with tough ideas is a, is a really enriching part of college. But you're yeah. assuming that because everybody thinks you're an idiot, that's a tough idea, and that's what Jay well, was everybody saying. Doesn't, gonna, everybody okay, doesn't. Okay, so think, we get flat earthers on campus. Everybody that doesn't that, that's think. An everybody doesn't think Farrakhan's That's an, an interesting idiot. question, though, Noam. Yeah. If, if given uh, a limited number of, uh, I guess, some limitation as to who you can invite. Um, where, you know, I think this is all a dodge. I think it's all about his beliefs. I don't think this is about some limited resource issue. Of course it's about his beliefs. Universities make decisions about viewpoints and beliefs and value all the time. That's their job. What are the best people to invite? Like if Charles Murray over... Listen, the New Republic devoted a whole issue. The New Republic, not a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Devoted a whole issue to people uh, on right, left, and center of Charles Murray. For you to look me now and say, but well, this is something that nobody takes seriously. I have trouble with that because Andrew Sullivan is not an idiot. He disagrees with you. Well, that, that was 20 years ago. He still disagrees with you. I just heard him recently talking about Charles Murray. He, I he, think he, Andrew he's, Sullivan is often an idiot. Okay, but you, you think he is, but don't you? <laughs> he probably think I was an idiot That's too. my point. He has every let, right so, to. Yeah, that's my point. So I can't let you decide what he said. He was still proud of the fact that he was the guy who brought... You're really getting worked up over a straw man. I assure you I have no intention to join college administration. It seems like the difference difference here is between allowing somebody to speak and like affirmatively working to bring them to speak. Into the curriculum. I I think we we got... I want to frame the issue this way. I I would like to see a a society where people could have a stiff upper lip and tolerate the idea that someone was going to come to speak, even if it was really offensive to them. I think that would be a much better way to live. And I think that was, we were closer to that back when the ACLU defended the Nazis in Skokie. We haven't changed. Yeah. yeah I don't know what that means. That, no, we we at, represented at, when I, when I, in Charlottesville. No, no, you only finished. When I was in college, people thought that was great. The ACLU did that. The ACLU was a hero for allowing the Nazis to speak. The ACLU would not be a hero today at college campuses for allowing the KK. Nazi actually didn't speak, but for defending the right. The ACLU would not be a hero and is not a hero. It's not. For defending the No, our executive director of Virginia was actually shouted down at a campus event. For defending the KKK. And and I'm saying that the the arguments that you're making add to that problem. I don't think so. You should be pushing the other way because if you push the other way, you would push more towards the world where it was where the ACLU was a hero for, for standing up for these people rather than Drawing the technical distinction. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Except when it's government action, of course. I'm technically I'm bound to defend it. But in, but when it's not government action, the second I'm not government action, I'm out of the gate. I'm with you. Shut these but people no, up. They shouldn't you, speak. But no, what do you make okay. about because it's one and because people, the average person doesn't make that distinction. They see either that people are encouraged to speak or they're not. You have to explain to them. You don't really understand the First Amendment only applies to people. Don't most people don't get that difference. They get the ethic. So free speech, but what it, or not? Free what about speech. knowing the distinction that they're making? Uh, between letting them speak and the university welcoming them, do you make anything of that distinction? No, I, I mean I, I can't. You have to. Or I, I, I might have an. I might have an, I might have an opinion on every single scenario. Like I, David Duke, if the university but invited that's David. The big one is there a difference between David Duke handing out leaflets on the quad and being your professor? I think there is no being your professor. No professors have to. Profess- but you understand when a political science department invites a speaker, that's curricular, right? You do understand how colleges work, right? That's a limited number of invitations, and they're saying. 
we're giving you an elevated platform. And when you have yeah, students I, of color seeing, oh, the American Enterprise Institute, which is made up entirely of older white dudes who don't really believe we're a racist country, and they have a limitless pool of money to invite this speaker to so campus. You may be right. You don't think those students have a right to be a little skeptical about whether or not this is a real marketplace of ideas or whether it's being propped up by crony my, capitalism? My father would I sit me in a chair. Are right to my be father would sit me in a chair and he would make me listen to the people who were most threatening to me and what we believed in to us. And I would tell my students, it is, as, it is every much a bit a part of your education to listen to these people who are real in the world and influential and, and dress as it is to listen to people. And, like, and you need to listen to all and all of it has its place. I really believe that. I do not, I do not see the benefit in just like a dog turning away as the danger goes away. I think it's good for your education. I don't disagree it's with you. It's good to sit and listen to a Nazi and I sympathizer. Give it's good to listen to a racist. That, and, it's, and it's especially good to listen to somebody like Charles Murray. And you make your own decisions and, and you can handle it. It's 45 minutes out of your life or 90 minutes out of your life. You can handle it. Except Even if it's, it's 1% not. of the country that is like amplifying like 1% of crazies to give them this huge, not, to, to, to create this huge illusion that there's this controversy. Yeah, even and, if it's 1%, but I don't think it's I 1% mean, in these Let's cases. say you're a climate scientist and your job is to teach That's a bunch 1%. of students about about what the client, climate reality is. And then there's a bunch of idiots out there who are completely denying the mathematics and the findings of, of climate science because they're being paid for by Exxon, et cetera. You as a professor trying to teach your students what the climate science is, are you going to invite one of these guys in who's paid by Exxon to deny no, reality? If, if, uh, is that no, part of the it, educational no, process? No, if, if I was in that position, right. if I was in that position and I thought, and this is why I asked you about, this is what I said about Charlie. If I thought that person was a fraud, I would say, no, we're not going to invite a fraud there well, because- that's what we have. That's the situation no. we have. We have a bunch of frauds who are being amplified no, not all, by not, big not money. Not all climate uh, people, not all people who don't, Listen, climate is very complicated. There's, there's all kinds of shades of people's uh, opinions on climate. Some people think it is getting hotter, but it's not man-made. Some people yeah, think it's not getting hotter. That's about 1%. Yeah, there's, there's, but there's that's also, about 1%. Yeah, but, some people. Yes, but some of these people, 1%, are at MIT and at major universities. And and sometimes the person who, who was, sometimes the 1%, yes, yes, yes there's one at Princeton. Dice, you're on a there's one at, nice there's one at Princeton and one at MIT. If they're and, at MIT, it's because they've got, MIT's taking a lot of money okay. for it. And some uh, some one percent opinions have mm-hmm. proven to be right. Many one percent opinions have proven to be right in historically. Like, and well, I, 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 I'm challenging only because I actually doubt. Like this. Galileo, I'm saying that 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 uh, I think that's right. I mean, that's part like of the, the like the New York like, yeah. like the New York Times that said that Donald Trump had a one percent chance of winning. Yeah. All right. So, but, but usually those one percent who are right were not right. We're not the one percent who was who, who held their position because they were being paid a lot of money. That's by. but that's what also I said. I, 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 that's chance. exactly the point I was gonna make. There's two kinds of one percent. There's one percent who said, "Listen, hear me out. I, I'm the guy who said, you know, you've been giving mammograms all this time. I'm telling you, it's a mistake. You're right, right. Or someone else, and I say, oh yeah, let, let's hear what he has to say. Or if you could show me, no, he just got paid a million dollars. He said this yesterday. The day before yesterday, but then then he got paid a million dollars by you know Pfizer, and now he changes his view. It's like no, we don't need to waste our time with that. He's a fraud. And and well, the only somebody has to Charles make these decisions Murray is going on that speaking tour is because some corporation with an interest in his viewpoints is paying for him to be there. No, yeah, but Charles Murray is not yeah, a fraud. Nothing, Charles, man. I read, I never, I read, I never read the Bell Curve. Story. I read uh, the uh, Torn Apart. Is that it? Don't the, look at me. The new one? Mm-hmm. No, it's what you wrote it no. like 10 years ago. It's yeah, like, the and, more recent. And and this book is phenomenal. And people on the left and right have uh, have spoken to me about how dead on they think this book was, including John Haidt talked about how he thought Charles Murray had it exactly right. Now, John Haidt is, is respected. Um, 
Charles Murray is no dope. And which torn apart about? About um, it basically it, it predicts Trump like it, it told me how the country was it, coming apart. It's largely about class differences yeah. and lack of education. Yeah. And it, it kind of takes a pop shot at Trump voters for being then, a victim of their. And then Amy Wax was another systems. one. Now, we had Amy Wax here and she says a lot of the same. stuff. So now I'm telling you, something, I, I, she was so outspoken. I, I was going to climb under the table like the stuff she said. Like I just, she didn't hedge it. She like I don't know what the hell is up with that woman. But she has a molecular degree. What was it really? Degree in molecular biology, degree in physics. Went resume. to Harvard. I mean, yeah. the woman is not stupid. I'm sure, and she's not a fraud, and she's not taking donations. I mean, she's not taking uh, you know money from from Exxon, and of course she should be able to speak. And and somebody, I dare somebody to take her on because she's fucking smart. And and I'd love to see that. Yeah, and suggesting otherwise is but a they'd straw be man. protesting no her. No one, it, like you're getting worked up, right, but right. no one at this table right. suggests that silencing is the right option. Okay. Next. All I'm saying is, it's hard to ask students to sit there right. and behave, so right, and not counter protest when they're seeing hateful people that may not be worthy of okay. that level of platform. Let's go continually back. Continually so, reinvited. So, That's all. So the ACLU defended these people in Charlottesville. Yes, we represented one of the organizers of the Unite the Right rally. And then they the ACLU of Virginia. Now did, they have yeah. changed their policy to say that they won't represent in open carry states or no that's not true actually um so the aclu has since about 1930 i'm going to get the year wrong but i think 34 has always had a policy of not representing people who are engaged in basically armed drills and by the way everyone in this room is welcome to disagree engaged in what armed drill armed drills, like okay. right like and this came up during the kkk right? right there were there was a series of civil rights act including the highway act that basically banned people in groups with masks and guns walking down the highway right every state has those rules and those laws in place and so when the aclu first represented um, a group of KKK marchers, right? Skokie was a little later and was neo-Nazis, but at the beginning we represented several KKK marches. We came out with pamphlets publicly to explain to the public why we were representing them. And we said, to be clear, we would not represent them in a situation where they're wearing masks and they're armed to the hilt because we do not believe the First or the Second Amendment protects the right to basically engage in proxies, right, for a race war, which is what we thought the KKK was doing, and I think probably rightly. So what happened was... That's been a policy we've actually had for 80 years, and that's been consistent. I think in reality, as since Heller, which is the decision at the Supreme Court that decided where the Supreme Court decided that the Second Amendment was an individually enforceable right, mm -hmm. we've now seen a situation where states are very skittish about enacting no weapons rules in large gatherings. And I think what happened was, although we've always had that policy, after Charlottesville, a lot of people kept asking us, you don't care if people are armed or not. And we responded. And by the way, this is at the national level, not the ACLU of Virginia level, which, of course, is working in a very open carry state. Right. And we said we've actually always had this policy to be very skeptical about representing armed marchers. And I agree with that policy because I think my primary goal is making sure that free speech matters and that protest rights include the right for a housewife with a five year old to go attend the women's march, not terrified that somebody's going to have an Uzi. So whatever you think of the Second Amendment. Um, I think most people accept that large armed people, large groups of armed people in passionate environments can be dangerous. Right. So, so like why did they defend the why did, you, why did they take right? up Charlottesville? Well, uh, the ACLU of Virginia, again, made its own decision about their representation. And I believe they absolutely made the right choice. But it was I'm more saying that what we did was honestly respond to media requests. And by the way, uh, Mr. Kessler um, filed in court documents under seal that he had encouraged people to come to a nonviolent rally. 
Kessler um, was the guy who, who organized the march. Yeah, right? he yeah. was the guy, who, and and that was part of our representation was ensuring that he wasn't advertising Were they this armed? as a carry rally. Um, there ended up being a lot of marchers who did carry guns. Um, as far as I'm aware, Kessler did not advertise that or suggest that people should come armed. It's more that because Virginia is an open carry state, I think it was kind of a perfect storm where a lot of people showed up. Did and anybody they had get guns. shot? No, no, okay. no, no, not at all. So then, why would they not do it again? So here's why. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a major report that came out of the state that was a total indictment of the Charlottesville police. And this is interesting because we were talking about Berkeley and I think this was present in both, both situations. We are getting more and more reports that police are standing down from armed confrontations because number one, they're worried they're outgunned and number two, they're worried that they'll actually escalate a situation. And by the way, these are in government reports. This is not an ACLU opinion in both Berkeley and now in Virginia, the state basically indicted local cops for being too hands off in those situations. And so this is actually difficult. I don't want to make light of this as a First Amendment attorney thinking about how we preserve long term the right to free speech. But if you're in a pressure cooker environment where you have protesters and counter protesters who both might be armed in different ways, right, whether it's guns or Antifa with riot shields, whatever it is. Right. I think you are getting to a place where normal people do not exercise their First Amendment rights in groups. Right. They're thinking there's no way I'm going to bring my kid to that. It's a it's a you know nightmare waiting to happen. And so it's weird because I think the tragic death of Heather Hare in Charlottesville was somewhat disconnected from those concerns. But of course, after someone dies, it's always a kind of Monday morning quarterbacking. Right. The media was all over it and they wanted to know who created this environment. And a lot of the questions were about well, didn't everyone know if people just showed up with guns, violence was going to happen, even though the violence that actually occurred at the rally was not a result of people being armed? So I think that was largely what you're yeah, talking about. she wasn't about. shot. Right. Could but have, if, nonetheless, if there were no open carry if rights, you were running CBS, I'm sure you would have asked the right questions. But the reality was that the media attention was largely focused on the idea that these were like armed, roving bands of right, Nazis. Right, but the ACLU knows that... This was she was killed with a, a car, of course. So that this bringing the gun thing into yeah, and it we is represented just a them. kind. That's why I say they're buckling. They found an a, a escape valve, but the guns had nothing to do with this. So why, if there had been no guns, same outcome. So why potentially? Why wouldn't I, they do I, it again? I think some people disagree about that, but I'm not disagreeing well, with you. Like as far as the media narrative, I mean, like, we, they use a, they use yeah. a car in the Halloween parade in New York with no guns here. Of course, I mean the yeah. car, cars are the new weapon, right? Yeah, so, or the stanchions over on the but, but, the but, west, yeah, west street but, bike path. I mean, these cars all over the world now are being used as a weapon. But the point is that now the ACLU said, well, no, but now there's is carrying going on. So we're not going to defend these. We're not going to defend all right. Uh, in, in, in not carries, all right. Or, Nobody has suggested there are certain groups of people we won't represent. Right. So they're not so going to that- defend pro-choice demonstrations in I Virginia think- anymore? I don't know what that means. Meaning if it's a pro-choice demonstration, they they can carry guns, right? Of course they would. Right. I'm saying they're not going to defend. What I'm saying is truthfully, okay, just as an actual matter of fact, and I know because I was the person being asked these questions, whether or not you like it, the reality is that in the week after Charlottesville, I got a thousand media calls. And I would say 90% of those calls involves questions like, does the ACLU represent people who are planning an armed rally? Right. That's what the media was interested in. And you're right to criticize that. I criticize that, too. But of course, I was in the weird position of being defensive. Right. Like, oh, nobody was shot. And that's a really messed up message to deliver after a woman has been killed. Right. Everyone feels awkward and defensive. So I think uh, myself, I, I spoke about this a little bit. 
but also our executive director, who I know went out with the statement about the guns, was truthfully responding to targeted media questions that you may agree shouldn't have taken that tenor, but was literally saying, actually, for 80 years, we've had a policy. So why couldn't he say, listen, this guns, this, uh, this guns is a ruse. The guns had nothing to do with what happened here. And... Have you ever done a media interview? That doesn't generally tend okay. to work. Okay. Right? I mean, Listen, I'm just being truthful. I, I, don't, I, I do a I, lot yeah, of yeah. media. You now, are being truthful but... and I respect it. And I was about to say, I don't want to be arrogant and, and overjudgmental of, you know, what a real person dealt with. But I'm saying that as a, as a guy who's always felt that the ACLU was very, ACLU was very important. And I said this to you because I always feels like, just like even a, a, a terrible criminal has the right to the best defense. Mm-hmm. I always felt that every idea had the right, every liberty had the right to the best defense, even when I didn't agree sure. with what it was. And we haven't backed and away from that. What, we haven't backed well, away from that. What you're describing is backing away. I don't agree at all. Just, just to, just to not, just. I'm literally saying it's the same policy we've yeah, had since 1934. Yeah, just, yes, when do we back yeah, but, away in 33? Yeah, I'll tell you what back here right by saying, listen, this has nothing, you're bringing up guns. It has nothing to do with anything. This was an all right we, rally again, where nobody was shot. Up. And yeah. if we had to do it again, we'd do it again. But actually, that's, that, that's what not what buckling you're sounds failing like. Failing to understand is that a lot of people, including in the law enforcement community and in the Virginia government, said that the reason that this situation got out of control is in part because police stood down because of the level of weaponry present. Well, you can, if, if you want to say, listen, this this particular we, we we don't feel that this police department is is uh, can keep any protest safe. We will not defend any protest in 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 that. I can almost understand, but that has to go for whatever you want to protest, school board, whatever it is. Because because people are carrying guns and the police department and will stand I, out. I don't think anybody at the ACLU has ever suggested differently. But, but it, and, it, and I'm going to tell you something serious, and I want you to listen to me. I'm listening. The ACLU, including, yeah. by the way, the legal director of Virginia, who is not a white person, okay, mm-hmm. took on this case as a no-brainer, all right? The culture of the ACLU was, this is a government that denied a permit that they had a right to have, and we're going to go into court and fight for that, right? Mm-hmm. I can assure you, when people in the ACLU of Virginia did that, they knew it was going to be unpopular as all get out. Like Skokie. They knew that we were going to get media questions for a week saying, how could you guys be like Skokie, supportive correct? of Nazis, like, right? Like 40 years And we ago. did it anyway. So I honestly take umbrage at the idea that not only have we not shrunk from our principles, not only did we but take you said that you wouldn't do it again. in the age of Trump. No one said that, Noam. That is a fabrication it's, you just don't, issued. Don't, I'll, I'll Google Find it. me I don't, media I don't mean that to says fabricate. we regret taking Charlottesville or we wouldn't take it again. What we said when people asked was, are you in the business of representing armed groups of Nazis? And we said that's always been a consideration in our cases. And that is truthful. So, but did I ask you in this interview, would, would the ACLU defend the char- Richard Spencer or, or Kessler again if he wanted to protest again and you guys, and you said no? No, that didn't happen. So you would. You, I invite you, everyone to rewind the tape. You, you, would, you would take it up again? If the situation was the same. But what I'm also trying to do is answer you earnestly and not flippantly and say, it's me. It's my colleagues at the ACLU who have helped establish the high watermark for speech. We right. did Skokie. We did Charlottesville. Do you understand? Yeah, right? I understand. We're not a legal aid organization. We don't just open the door and say, all Nazis, come take on the ACLU's brand and we will defend you. We are not legal aid. We are a strategic okay, so this, organization this is, this is, this with is civil my, rights. This my fabricated. Now, this yeah. is obviously inaccurate. This is... The Hill. Is The Hill a partisan newspaper? No. Yes. Oh. Yes. It is? Really? <laughs> they ostensibly know, but okay. pretty lefty. The American Civil Union took a new stance on firearms Thursday. That's incorrect. Okay. That's just but bad I'm saying, reporting. But, okay, but Again, I, I, didn't, I didn't fabricate anything. Okay. Announcing a change in policy that it would not 
represent hate groups which who demonstrate with firearms. Also incorrect. Where, that literally is completely fabricated. I guarantee you no one at the ACLU said there is a certain type of group we're okay. not going to represent. That never happened. ACLU Executive Director Anthony Romero told the Wall Street Journal that the group would have stricter screenings and take legal requests from white supremacist groups on a case-by-case basis. The events in Charlottesville require any judge, any police chief, any legal group to look at the facts of any white supremacist protest with a much finer comb. Look at white supremacists with a much finer comb. He shouldn't have said that, and I disagree uh, okay, with so I, so that's a direct Now, do you want to apologize? It's a direct quote. You want to apologize to me for accusing no, me of fabricating? No, I don't, because I don't know the context of that, and I know Anthony. I, you, can, you can apologize that I didn't fabricate. All right, but you, fabric, you fabricated what I said, which is we wouldn't take that case again, and I don't think that's what Anthony's okay. saying okay. either. I, I, you know. You 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 made a <laughs> you, pretty. I, I think judgment. that you would sound a little. If you, you you could be a little. Just say yeah. You know me. You, you, I I admit you got that right. No, I'm, I'm I, so I, sorry. I, I read a. I'm reading a quote from the from the director of ACLU. It says we're going to look at it with a finer comb, and I'm saying. And I wish he had not said white supremacist groups. If he had said groups that we know to be armed, we're going to look. That's what he should have said. And I believe that's the only thing that our policy really permits. And then he says if a, if a group protests, yeah. if, if if a protest group says no, we want to be able to carry loaded firearms, we don't have to represent them. Right. Now, that's true. And I agree Now, that. that's interesting to me because A, if I, that's to me, like that to me is not the ACLU's problem, meaning that. It is. If, we're strategic, Noam. No, we're not, again, we're not legal aid. No, I sit in no, my office let me, let me, and I think, my argument. how do we have First Amendment if, in 20 if, years? It's it, not if everybody has Uzis. Because my, if of course I, that's my job. If I live in a state where my Democratic government believes that I should be able to carry firearms, which is probably the way it was 100 years ago, yeah. right? Um, my civil liberties are still just as valuable. And you say, well, no, we're not going to defend your civil liberties because your Demo- we don't approve, essentially, of what the way your representatives have exercised your yeah. will in terms of in terms of your laws about how guns should carry. Correct. Never mind Correct. that. Never mind that. Correct. It, hold on. Never mind that in a state which doesn't have the laws, which you will allow, there are probably many more illegal weapons in the hand. In other words, you you could go to a, a rally in, in some bad neighborhood in a state which doesn't have anti-gun laws and know that they're filled with weapons. What matters just, And you what won't care. What we're talking about is the clients so, so that we take saying, on. No. What I'm saying is, again, it, this just You seems, understand how cases come to us, hold right? On. We but get I'm a saying, client yes, and they ask I'm saying us that for help. This sounds to me like a pretext to get out from under the white supremacy thing. Not about the guns, because you know you could go to many, many states that have very harsh gun laws where you know that they're carrying guns. You know they, where they have much— you would, you, would, you would allow somebody to protest in Chicago where they have homicides by the score— but you would use this as a way to get out of some town where they probably never had a killing. Okay. But no, they have guns. Let's that, see. If that the doesn't proof sound that doesn't pudding. sound like dedicated to civil liberties to me. Uh, okay, but except for the fact that the actual track record you've just cited is us taking the least popular cases okay. in the history of America. So you used I guess, to. You used thanks. to. That's why you were my so heroes. You mean in August of we last still year? Will. Don't no, you since worry about since that. this only listen, I only started saying this opinion since I read this article. That's when when I saw this change. Up in, up until up until Charlottesville, I was like, you know what? Good for them. You know, they fucking, they, 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 they fucking walk and the walk and talk the talk. you know that Milo Yiannopoulos is my client, right? In an ongoing case that I have right now that Good. I took since Charlottesville. I'm just saying, no. You know what? Somebody should clean okay, this up. Okay, you're mad about a Hill article, but how about you actually <laughs> look at my track <laughs> record, dude? How about you actually you know, look I at lo- our cases? <laughs> okay. As opposed to reading shitty Politico next, media from the Beltway, okay, man. Next, next question, my last question. I saw the ACLU had an ad, and it's to it's me. like the Hill article writers, if you want to give I, them I shit. Love, this to me dovetails. The ACLU had an ad on Facebook or something on Facebook, kind of viral, that said that Trump is trying to, there's a new law which said that somebody, that a doctor or a nurse who doesn't want to participate in abortion will no longer be able, no longer be required to. 
And the ACLU say, we'll see them in court. Mm -hmm. We say that a lot. Yeah. And I thought to myself, (laughs) maybe you could tell me what are the, what are, what is the rationale that makes you want to defend um, someone who, who doesn't, a conscientious objector. America's attacked. There's a draft. Mm -hmm. No, you don't have to go and kill. Mm -hmm. Why? I suspect this is an area where you and I don't agree a lot, actually. Like, I think that last segment we just had, we actually agree what we were just yelling at each other for no good reason. Um, But I I suspect we actually disagree on this one. I think that the ACLU has made the call, and it's one I'm comfortable with. A conscious objection? Um, I want to say the the logic. I believe you you agree with the conscientious objection. Yeah, of course. Just tell me the logic of that. Because then I want to use that logic. Objections. Yeah. Why? Why is it that if I don't want to go that kill your to defend the country, fundamental liberty to exist cannot be conscripted by your country, right? Your your liberty of movement and freedom, your entire life, cannot be forced in a certain direction by your government. You, no, I don't think that's what the in draft that means. Di- I think that you, I think that you, they can still draft you to like be a nurse or something. You just can't. You won't have to fight. You don't have right, to kill. Right. So that for your government not to force you into a position where you're violating. Right. Your core beliefs. It's a matter, it's, it's con- right. OK. So now so now in the Atlantic, there was an article it was a nurse who said, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, a, a doctor, I guess. Mm-hmm. She said, the more I advanced in my field of neonatology, mm-hmm. is that how you pronounce it? Yep. The more it came, it just became the logical choice to recognize that the developing fetus for what it is, instead of a, a, a fetus, instead of some sort of I'm sorry. The more I advance in my field now, the more it became logical choice to recognize the developing fetus for what it is. What I'm getting, am I reading? I'm reading the wrong. Oh, it just became so obvious that these were just developing humans. Mm-hmm. So here's a, 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 you know, a doctor, scientist, whatever it is, studying this thing and, and wakes up and say, listen, I, I can't in my heart distinguish between three months, six months, nine months and a day after thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to kill these anymore. Mm-hmm. The idea that the ACLU would say, we'll see you in court is shocking to me. And I, I don't believe I've, I've had abortions. I, I'm saying like that, that to me, <laughs> I've, I've, I've killed a few, you know, but I'm saying this, this really seems to me a matter of conscience every much as, as worthy of defense as someone who doesn't want to go fight to defend their country. This is someone who thinks I can't do it. I can't, you, you, and so not, not only, think, not, hold on, not, not okay. only can I not do it, but you can't even explain to me where I'm wrong. You can't, nobody okay, can explain to me, me why it's so okay six months and not okay saying, seven months. So you set me up by saying, here's, you know, here's my question. So let me just ask yeah. you a question. Do you think we should enable public school teachers yeah. um, who say, let's say, have read a lot of Charles Murray um, scholarship <laughs> and believe, you know, my black, my black students are a waste of time. I'm actually just in my heart, in my moral teachings, I've read the Bible and I know that the Bible has a lot of. Um, you know, r- racial language. And my faith tells me that only the white kids are worthy of my time. Right. So why isn't that a matter of conscience? C- it, certainly it, well, you can no, recognize no, it, there's a spectrum. Th- yes, there right? is. A, there is a spectrum. You're right. And that's that, that you that, don't have a right to discriminate against people at your job. Right. You acknowledge that there is one point in that spectrum where that teacher falls into and that that being conscripted into the army is the other. And the real question is just where on the spectrum right. is that? Now, now, now the spectrum. Race, but don't pretend it's black and white. No, this I'm not. Common, I'm not pretending. Right? That's, well, why, that's why, me, why I chose the conscious objectors. To me, the abortion uh, situation is absolutely, if we're talking about a spectrum, couldn't be more clearly on the conscientious objector side of the spectrum. Even though that person is at work and selling a service that should include that option. Right. That's why I analogize to the teacher. Right. We're not talking about someone where the government says, you, Dan, it's Tuesday. Get up. You're performing elective abortions today. That's that's the conscientious objector. 
right? That's the government telling you, here's how you're going to spend your next year of your life. The reason I use the school teacher is because you're totally wrong, right? The person who's performing an abortion is literally at her job performing a service for the public. Well, the a person medical, who's performing medical, the abortion. Is, it's a medical professional. A medical dude. license is a, is a, is a government created monopoly license it's to, pr- already to print money. Well, what, the, what are these abortion that, like, doctors? Very few people are given. Medical license doesn't require you to perform abortions. No, of course not. But if you are an OBGYN, you understand that you are signing yourself up. It's Just a, like I'm a lawyer, Well, a kid right? in a public school you know doesn't have... my profession is heavily regulated. If I decided not to service female clients, I, I, somebody I, I, would disbar me. I think me. you're turning your back on conscience here. Go ahead. No, I, I mean... No, I, I'm not. I'm well, saying let, it's let complicated. Dance. Well, I just don't see the teacher analogy as... Well, what, first of all, in the teacher case, you're dealing with, you know, racism. You're dealing with something that we, we have particular revulsion for. Okay, which well, is treating blacks and whites differently, which, which we have out, is, a terrible view, revulsion for the thing. I view that as a woman. I, I'm the only woman in this room. And I'm going to say confidently and clearly, I believe that being anti-abortion has consequences for one sex. OK, but she was a woman. Not that it matters, but it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, like, black people can be racist. That doesn't absolve you from the consequences of your action. If you're saying I'm a doctor, but this is the only service I won't perform. And it only happens to be available to women. That's a fucking problem. <laughs> So that's more and important, I think the that's more important than conscience. Say, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're they have the conscience job, to stop being medical absolutely. providers. Yeah, they, they, they can quit the profession yeah, that has been government regulated. They, they, regulated they, that's what you want to put. You so want people saying, to quit the medical listen, profession? This is what I'm saying. You, you, that might otherwise be good people? People can die because they don't get abortions. Oh, okay. No, I just think that they can choose a, no, a, actually, a medical profession in, that doesn't require them to deny service to someone based on their gender, based on their sex. Much like someone who was drafted and chooses to be a nurse or chooses not to go into battle. Yeah, I yeah. think they have that right. I think that they don't have a right entirely to be left alone, but they have a right to direct their freedom in a way that doesn't put them in that position of the government forcing you to engage in conscience. I, I have a real question about people who say, I want to go into this heavily regulated profession where the weight and professional consensus is that OBGYN care includes occasionally helping women well, with a reproductive they choice. Go but in... I'm going to do it on my terms. And if you tell me yeah, I actually have to we, do the we want to encourage right. that's freedom of conscience. No, that's when you're talking to your government, when you're talking to your employer and the consensus of people say this is how you do your job well if your school district says guess what you have to teach white kids and black kids and you say you know what? i'm going to go into teaching but i'm going to do it on my terms which is you i see, only this teach is, white this kids. is this is my thing and i, and I think the league i think the legal that's st- closer to the you abortion. can give me the language but i think the legal standard that that because these there's you know obviously if if uh every single person decided to be a conscious objector we wouldn't be able to tolerate it right right so there are practical choices that are made and, and the government takes the least least restrictive alternative, yeah. whatever. So, and we, you know, in birth control, yeah, that so, usually meant if there are a couple of pharmacists and two yeah. of them are conscientious objectors, we generally took the position that some pharmacist, right. someone had to offer the service. Right. So if you made and the argument to me, if you, you, if you made the argument, listen, no one will perform an abortion anymore and women are going to die. I said, well, then, then we're going to have, this will have to bend because now you have. And that's a, true. You know, in most Midwestern yeah, states, now you'll have, now you have there's zero or one provider. Now you have another competing interest equally serious people dying people which has to be weighed and we're going to have to err on the side of life then we agree but no yeah we do but because no. that's the factual that's, circumstance that's in a not, lot of states no but that's not what that wasn't the argument if and if and if that were the case and a judge, I, I could understand that yes, uh, I don't but, think you but, know how hard it is for a lot of women in this country to in, get an abortion in, in, in uh, New York let's say if a doctor says or a nurse said listen I, I can't do this anymore and it's a matter of conscience and the ACLU wouldn't want to defend her. I would be like, why would not defend someone who doesn't, who feels it's against their uh, 
against their conscience to kill, just like someone doesn't want to go to war because they feel it's against because their conscience to kill. the ultimate choice lies with that person in choosing their profession. We're not talking about the government telling you you don't have this liberty. What we're saying is if you do this heavily People have to choose between their regulated. job and their conscience? Of course they I'm, do. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of, of scenarios I can give you do. where you wouldn't where You, you wouldn't think I'm going to get ruffled? I wake up in the morning and go to a job that represents my political beliefs. Cry so, me a so then, for so people maybe, who haven't thought about it in the morning. Well, so what, maybe, you want to be a so what, what if, person what if, a job that matches so, your values So what if, what if the school system doesn't want to give you off for your religious holiday? Don't we say that you should, the school system should give you off? You don't have to, you don't have to become a teacher. You don't have to become a teacher. Right. But that's an incidental thing, right? You no. Get a one day well, you don't have to become a teacher. But if you want to be a teacher, you got to work. You got to work on Yom Kippur. There's a but notion you don't have to be a, a teacher. Come on, reason, you don't believe that. There's a notion of reasonable, reasonable accommodation, reasonable accommodation for religious that? beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if, if a certain medical procedure is judged okay. by the profession to be core to that profession's service. You guys are making this up as you go along. Not Honestly, at all. you are. You no, are, you are. that's like as saying as you can be a history teacher who denies the Holocaust. That's a better as analogy. As a matter of policy, as a matter of policy, isn't the last thing we want to do? Anybody that can get through medical school, for God's sakes, and 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 be a decent doctor isn't the last thing we want to do to discourage people that are capable of going to med school. But if they're not passing the boards no. from becoming doctors, if it's a psychologist who only offers relationship counseling to straight couples, yeah, don't be a relationship college. Well, don't me, be a psychologist. I'm, I'm really disappointed. You're I'm, not doing I, the I, job. Like, let, let me ask you this: I'd rather this, is not, have, this is not defending conscience. Let me ask you this: If there's a West Virginia county that only has one hospital in it, it's a Catholic hospital, and the Catholic hospital says we're not going to give any abortions. So now nobody in that West Virginia county can get an abortion, including people who's like Then the county would have to like, replace you because they have no choice. Right. But not because of your county. The county really could be because they have to provide abortions and no one will do it. Um, these are not easy questions. Well, you can bring people but, in from the outside, but... but um, oh. but, it, but but I'm saying is that what, what's That's bothering me here is not... Is, it, what's bothering me here, and this, and this may sound, you know, too subtle, it may not even be the actual outcome. It's that you guys don't seem to any longer even... See the difficulty in the the conscience issue here. It's like you seem you're gleeful almost. Well, because you're pro-choice to not to not put yourself in the minds of someone a, a scientist who knows more about it than you. And listen, I had a I I I had a bunch. I had an I ultrasound. I don't know these things very carefully. I, well, I, I don't hear it. I had an ultrasound where my my three month old fetus was sucking. You its do thumb. hear yourself, right? You're not exactly encouraging nuance. Was, and okay, was sucking his thumb, and somebody could tell me, no, you know what? That that's not that's nothing. I say sucking his thumb. Here, I, and just by by tangent, I don't. Even, I only heard the headline, but apparently Lindsey Graham wanted to introduce some kind of pain abortion about pain, some restriction based on when the fetus could feel pain. Yeah, and I I never thought of that before, but then it occurred to me. What does it mean if if the fetus feels pain while uh, while the abortion is? I mean, that's that's something to really stop and think about. And then if I'm a physician, I took an oath, do no harm. It's sucking its thumb. It feels pain. It's viable, maybe, meaning that it could live with and I'm not going to kill it. Nope, 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 nope. We'll see you in court. Let, let me ask you this. This is astounding to me. This is this is not something the ACU to be ought to be you know putting on their spurs to go fight in court. This is tough shit. Look, can I ask you something? This is really you're gonna you're gonna you're you're talking about making people murder from their point of view. Go ahead, Dan. It, it, and now, from a purely practical point of view, you want to encourage, I assume, access to abortion. Do you think by telling people not to become OBGYNs if they're against abortion? You're going to increase the availability of abortion? Yeah. How so? 
I just don't know that the opposite is any more likely to decrease it. So I don't really understand the question. Well, <laughs> the, the point is, is it, well, it's, it relates to what I said before. You have somebody that could be an excellent physician I, that doesn't want to give abortions. Telling her of, not to go into that is impossible not, is, to become accidentally an abortion provider. There is no medical school that provides that curriculum. It is almost impossible for medical doctors to get a curriculum that includes abortion care. And most hospitals don't even provide it because it's so controversial and they get, you know, they get, um, you know, picketed and stuff. So people who want to provide abortion already, even though it's legal, even though it's constitutionally protected, actually are in the extreme minority because they are under constant threats of violence. Their clinics are attacked. They're in the center of every newspaper But how, how do we make So a- to suggest that people casually enter into OBGYN practice and provide abortion is so no, fucking delusional. No, 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 that's okay. not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if all of a sudden we said there was a law that said you have to provide abortions if you become an OBGYN, the effect of that would probably just be no, less not, OBGYNs. I don't know if the effect of that I'm would not be- I'm suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is someone should not get into a reproductive, a, a situation where precisely part of their job, right? A core part of their job involves that service and say, that's the service I don't give. And I respect the view. Then they just I won't go into- people, uh, they, and I believe it's They earnest. won't become OBGYNs, but who will become OBGYNs to replace them? Okay. I, 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 I don't know. Part. It's just bizarre to me. It's uh, like making we, the argument late, that we should not, allow history teachers to be Holocaust. We got to wrap it up. Never say we got to wrap never. it up because I'll, a history teacher become a Holocaust denier will will damage the students. Yeah, and an OBGYN okay. who says one of your reproductive options is completely off the table, no matter no, how she much go to somebody else because they can go to somebody else. What if they can go to somebody else? Just come on, Dan. Go to another teacher. I mean, most women do not have a choice of abortion providers. I think your audience needs to understand that for the average woman who does not live in New York City, getting an abortion is not only a two day affair because there are mandatory waiting periods that you have to go to see a doctor twice, but it is also so regulated and so demonized by the right wing in this country that to suggest you have a choice is the kind of delusion that only a man would say out loud. Okay. I am serious, 50% you guys. Except 50% of women might agree with it, but all right. No, they would not. And no woman who has ever considered an abortion as part of their reproductive health choices would well, you be just delusional narrowed, you just enough. narrowed it down to right. a subset of women. Well, of course, but I'm saying specifically a woman who's <laughs> ever wondered, do I have right the there. right to engage <laughs> but, in this but constitutional But if you poll women, there's a lot of women who would never consider it a choice because they're against abortion. Yeah, men say that too before they accidentally knock someone up and pay for it. All right, Excuse all right. me, but hypocrisy is endemic. What I care about is the constitutional right to access that I, I want to wrap this all up. There are, there are people that give birth to severely retarded children because they don't believe in abortion. These people care deeply. These people have conviction. You cannot imagine. <laughs> but, but he's I believe right. that conviction is real. Here, they, I just also I just believe that someone who in, really believes in their heart of hearts the Holocaust didn't happen shouldn't be a history in, teacher. In, That's in all Europe, I'm saying. In Europe, they're eradicating Down syndrome, you know, and it was, it was a heartbreaking article I just read. They just posted about this, this Down syndrome person who, who says, I, I didn't realize that they, they kill people because they have an extra chromosome. It's like heartbreaking as if they're not people. Somebody with Down syndrome. Yeah, the Down syndrome. Yeah, like they were, like, I t- didn't read the article, but that that, like, that is interesting. It's, 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 like she couldn't, she got, couldn't process that they would kill yeah. her. Like they wouldn't want me because I have, I'm a human. I have an extra chromosome. Like, well, Steven Pinker still gets invited places to talk right. to. So the way, I, the way I draw this all together is that the way I see, and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I see that it, as more than coincidence that, that the views which you have clever... The views of conscience, which you have, I don't want to use the word clever, that sounds, but that you have tight rationales for why they uh, can wither and, and, and on the vine, line up very much with the, the political opinions that you feel strongly about. 
You hate yes. racism. Yeah. You, and you, I try you're, and remember you're, you're, that. You hate racism. You're very, very pro-choice. You're very, you feel very... And sorry. I care about and minority voices. And coincidentally... And suggest And coincidentally, yeah. the, the freedom of conscience of people who don't want to perform abortions and the freedom of conscience of people who want to fight for white nationalism, whatever it is, all of a sudden are rationalized away. That is what I see They're happening. Not rationalized away. I'm saying I disagree with and them. And now, that's what the First Amendment just, and free speech mean. I get to have opinions. It could just be up that way. I see it as more than, I see it we as still the ACLU. Defend, we still defend. That's the and I, right. no, we're going to have, have Ira Glazer on here. Racist. Of course. Ira Glasser, how do you pronounce Glasser. Glasser yeah. in a few weeks, right? And I, I believe yeah. he tends to agree with me on this, but I, but I don't know. We'll see what he says. But I felt this way for a long time. I feel like I'm well, to, ask him why I the ACLU like, under his leadership supported workplace harassment. Would you laws. like to, would you like to come on when he's on? Ah, no, uh, but I, I feel that I am to the left of you more extreme on civil liberties than the ACLU. I never I thought I'd find. Left. Well, I, say left. I, I, I think, think that's right. That I think that to bring up the fact that there that there's what the gun laws are in a particular state as a way to somehow in any way bear on whether somebody has the right to protest and pretend that it's not really about the fact that their views are despicable. Well, for me, it's not. Is, is, is not sincere. All right. Sorry, it's not you, about their you, guns. You don't have free speech rights when somebody's intimidating you by holding a gun. But that didn't happen in Charlottesville. It actually but, did But this is the, this, this speaks to, to what our point was when we talked about it, and this has been our point since the 1930s. All right. You don't All right. have free speech rights when somebody has a gun and is intimidating you. That can chill your speech. Uh, and well. no, At least I didn't fabricate it. At least I read it in an article. You And a quote. It was a quote. It wasn't. The has not changed in our ability to Well, this guy spoke for you changed. He's been our executive director for 16 years and overseen some of the most controversial cases, including by the way, our national just, security work in the wake quote, of 9-11. You know. No, I'm just saying, like, I think Anthony's a great civil liberty libertarian, and he has overseen really difficult and deeply unpopular decisions by this organization. And I would say, since you summarized your worldview, let me summarize please, mine as follows. Please, please. I actually think that both of us are pro-liberty. I don't want anybody silenced. I don't want the government telling anybody they don't have a right to their conscience or reordering how they deal with their life. I think where we differ philosophically, and I don't think it's easy. I'm just yelling because we're at a podcast. I like and when we're you all yell. I don't, you know, I, I, I but don't I'm saying the fact that I yell doesn't mean I'm more certain. Yeah, I'm just right. making good goddamn radio for you people. I'm okay. just really, I think that <laughs> there is, a, I think, number one, I think these are difficult calls. And I think there is a culture war where I think most people at the ACLU do trend left. And of course that affects our thinking. And I always want to be conscious of that and make sure we're being principled. But I do think that I have a messier view of the first amendment, which is in no way does it insulate you from PC culture or groupthink or general consensus. And of course, sometimes Galileo is a great example. Of course, sometimes that has pernicious effects and minorities who are only 1% of the viewpoint get silenced by the overwhelming weight of society. And look, at times that's going to be unfortunate. But I also think that messiness, that interhuman pressure is the natural consequence of having such a robust First Amendment. Because when the government can't silence people, and, and I don't want it to, to be clear, right, then people step up, step up and provide social norms that push people in some direction, right? And we're in a moment in time where on college campuses, people want to be anti-racist. We're at a moment in time where in, in workplaces, women want to have equal opportunities. And of course, those movements are always going to lead to a little chill and a little overcorrection. But ultimately, I have a longer view that that messiness and impart some of that pressure and silencing and doxing and all that shitty, shitty human behavior is part of the friction of that cultural change happening. And it's we're never going to get it right because the only alternative is to give the government the hierarchical power to determine the rules of debate. And I think everyone in this room uniformly rejects that. And so how do we deal with the messy after effects of interhuman pressure? And I don't like that version of your conscience and you shouldn't get this job if X. 
I think all of those are tough questions. And I do think we're all trying to wrestle through them in good faith. And generally how I try and figure those out is where is the harm the greatest? And right now I believe there's greater harm for women in the workplace. And most stats show that than one dude or two who gets put on blast right now. I think there's more harm to women who have a constitutional right to get an abortion um, and are stopped by a crazy over-regulated group of moral majoritarians. And that doesn't mean that the answers are simple. I just think from a civil liberties perspective, when you have those clashes, you look at what is the greatest good for the greatest number of individual liberties, right? And that's why I'm comfortable coming out in those places. And of course, it dovetails with my political beliefs because no human is above their own consciousness. But I can assure you that at work, when we go there, we don't all secretly giggle that we're a wing of the DNC and how do we no, get away I, with I this? I would never. We are principled people. And look, I, I respect the hell out of Anthony, but I don't like that statement because it did imply that our analysis would have something to do with the viewpoints of the groups. And I don't think that's true. I suspect the more elegant version of what I hope he meant to say was we're living in a world where there actually are groups of white supremacists organizing online, encouraging each other to bring guns, asking militias from upstate New York to come in armed proxies in a race where they'd like to start. And I think we as ACLU, because we're not legal aid, because we are a strategic legal organization, need to make sure that Nazis don't co-opt the ACLU brand. Absolutely. Yes, we can be proud of Skokie. That doesn't mean we let every Nazi in the door with an Uzi and say that's a First Amendment issue. And at the end of the day, I suspect when we're having those conversations about whether it's Me Too or abortion access or who we represent, who we give our precious free legal resources to, I suspect you would not find most of those conversations wanting or unprincipled. They are hard issues. And I think we're in a moment in time where society is very polarized. So, yeah, you may get a strident chest thump like CU in court, but that doesn't mean in the halls of the ACLU everybody's like, oh, fuck conscience, right? That That's not how it is. I think it's Qu- two. Uh, two, two quick things. Before, well, before, well, well said. Before we end. Um we had the, uh, are you familiar with the Silk Road website? Mm-hmm. We had an episode here, remember? And we said we're going to... The uh, what website? Lane Albrecht. Silk Road. Uh, Silk Road. Oh, Silk Road, yeah. yeah remember yeah. that episode where she said, yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that you guys did not want to take that case that we spoke to the mother of, uh, is there a reason or... Uh, I don't remember. Should, yeah. Would, would you, you know, off there, would you look into that? Because, you know, it's this weird law, but apparently it's legal where they can bring into the sentencing crimes that you weren't, Convicted of. Yeah. yeah, that's messed up. I'm not a criminal justice expert, but that's not okay. I, I can't believe, I, I had no idea. That is yeah. not okay. And I that that is something I'm and sure that's we what, care about. And, and that was in the Silk Road case. And I and, and I mean, this, the ACLU. The difference would be generally if somebody who's actually in a criminal indictment, we're, we, you know, we, we aren't criminal defense. What do you think about that judge? So we Sorry. don't, we can't usually substitute our judgment for their direct counsel. Like what we usually do in a case like that is we would file an amicus brief if it, that's a friend of the court brief if it went yeah. up on appeal. And we'd say, hey, this is really troubling. But very rarely does it make sense to use our nonprofit resource in an individual criminal case, right, where they're talking about sentencing. You should look at this silk road. It's stunning. Life in prison for nothing. What about that nothing, judge nothing, That but. judge in the case of uh, Larry Nasser who said, yeah. if it weren't for that pesky uh, Eighth Amendment yeah, against cruel and unusual punishment, you know, I, 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 I don't know what she said. Something like basically saying, uh, damn it, that we have a protection against school. I mean, that's outrageous, is it not? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think there are a couple responses. <laughs> uh, you know, like, number one, I think it is important to remember, look, I don't like it. I'd like to think if I was a judge, I wouldn't talk like that because I think there's an appearance of wanting to violate the Constitution that's shitty, and I don't love that. That well, being said, that being said, number one, let's remember she only started saying things like that at the sentencing phase after the court had already found him guilty. So legally, he's guilty. So we're not talking about someone who is you know, violating the kind of core constitutional rights to his due process and fair trial rights. At this point, the state recognizes him as a monster, 
right? And so there is a fiction in the judge. This is not uncommon at a sentencing hearing. And number two, I would just say um, that I actually think that kind of contempt for criminal defendants is pretty common. Except sometimes you see that contempt from a judge for, say, a 16-year-old black kid who sold weed. So in the grand scheme of things, do I wish judges were more neutral? Sure. Am I going to cry about it in a situation where, you know, a a sexual molester and rapist engaged in assault against literally triple digits of women? Eh, It's definitely not one of the more extreme concerns I have about judicial contempt. I have a problem in general with judges treating people like they're chattel and like they're shitty because I'm a civil libertarian. But that is not an outstanding example. By the way, Nat Nat Hantoff was in the ACLU, right? Was was he a big supporter of the ACLU? I'm pretty sure he was more a big... libertarian. It, do, it would depend on the issue, but I don't. All right, so here we, have, and we have to go. We so, have to go. Uh, the last thing quickly, oh. uh, a question from Travis Groot. Um, I know him. A, he, he, he messages me on Facebook. Go ahead. Yeah. So he said, um, you did a great job, uh, politely telling Jenna, she was making it hard to have a productive conversation. This tweet made my uh, blood boil. The one oh, that's the the one, you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you are being polite and treating her. Uh, with the same, if not greater, patience than you would uh, shown to a man. Why? <laughs> because I don't want to get called a sexist. <laughs> or getting sued. The soft bigotry no, of low expectations, huh? No, I'm damned if you do, damned if you do. I know what's good for me. Yeah. No, listen, I'm, I'm always worried about getting blasted. It's, it's a minefield out there. Go ahead. I have one thing I want to say. So I was at a party <laughs> four or five months ago, and I was talking to a guy who listens to our radio show, the other show downstairs. Boom. And I said, uh, oh, really? Uh, you listen to the show. Who's your favorite guest? And he says, you have to get that ACLU lawyer back because she brings it to Noam. And yeah, exactly she's the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I say every time I come on here, I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to go yell at this nice guy for an hour. We'll that's why that's goes. the best show. I yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So you, would you like to share your information? Twitter or anything? Thing. <laughs> <laughs> would you guys um, want to? Yeah. Yes. Uh, my name is Lee Roland. I am at least until now, uh, an attorney at the ACLU. Um, the best way to find me if you're interested is probably my Twitter account. I am at Berkatron, B-E-R-K-I-T-R-O-N. Harvard, Harvard, by the way. Harvard. Eh. And for you, sir? Jay Stanley, also at the ACLU. I specialize in technology issues, including free speech issues. And we give him extra prop for being a non-consensual uh, podcast host yeah, who I like dragged a, up from know, the cellar. I'm really prepared or expecting, but, you know, it's cool. It's uh, always fun to hang out with Lee. It's a Wednesday night with Lee. No, uh, Mr. Den. Oh, J.C. Yeah. J. Stanley, J-A-Y-C Stanley, S-T-A-N-L-E-Y, at... Uh, I'm at J.C. Stanley. Yeah, You're uh, an attorney Twitter. as well? Dan Nettleman? I'm not. I'm a comedian mm-hmm. and constitutional scholar. <laughs> Dan's a lawyer too, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. And uh, by the way, we have to go, but um, uh, Lee is wearing a release the memo jersey. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Good night. And, and li- <laughs> livefromamericapodcast.com. Thank you. You were listening to Live from America Podcast. To contact us, please go to www.livefromamericapodcast.com. Brought to you by the Comedy Cellar and Rethink Production.